Welcome to American Redemption, the show where the next generation of American patriots learn to fight back in America's toughest cultural battles. All right, everyone, welcome back to American Redemption. As always, I'm here with Steve, and today our guest is named the Armed Catholic. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Just a minor correction. The No, the. There's another the armed Catholic, and a lot of people get us confused. So just armed Catholic. <laughs> okay. So you have yeah. two arms. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, it's funny. Him, he and I actually correspond every now and then because, you know, it's funny that we have the same the same uh, handle there. But, yeah, he's a cool guy. But, yeah, armed cool. Catholic. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We are happy to have this conversation. So the Armed Catholic, sorry, Armed Catholic is an interesting yeah. name and definitely grabbed our attention. How did you come up with that? Well, the name actually has two meanings. Um, armed with the um, the armor of God, of course. And then, of course, mm-hmm. I have a, a great respect for our Second Amendment in the United States. And so I thought it would be a little interesting play on words. And I, it also came out... Uh, when I first created the handle, it came out around the time that um, I think it was the Atlantic magazine published a story about how the rosary is a, a, a weapon. And I wanted to oh, sort yeah. of incorporate that into it as well. So I thought it was funny. So yeah, my, my reverence for uh, the Second Amendment and of course, staying armed with the armor of God. That's awesome. Uh, when we were doing our, our prep for this episode, in our notes, Stephen put down those exact two things. He was like, I wonder what the armed Catholic means. Is it armed in the faith and second amendment? So he was right on. Yep. yep. Cool. Oh, that's great. Yes. Um, in fact, in my bio for as long as I could, for as long as I've been uh, a Christian, uh, when I convert reverted, I should say, um, Ephesians six twelve has always been my favorite verse, you know, battling in spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so, you know, that, that, aspect of of our faith the spiritual warfare and the the you know the battle unseen so to speak it's always appealed to me even prior to being christian i always knew that there was some sort of spiritual exchange going on so you know the the uh, the whole staying our guard against evil is something yeah. that it means a lot to me that's an interesting uh discussion to go through let's and you mentioned the rosary as well can you speak to that a little bit about if you've seen um, you know, how the rosary has been used as a weapon in your life and, and talk more about spiritual warfare. Sure. Well, and I have um, experience with the occult. You know, I was raised in, in a Catholic school. Uh, however, my family weren't exactly practicing Catholics, more cultural Catholics. And um, so after probably in, in the middle of high school or so, I started to stray a little bit spiritually and I became um involved with the occult and witchcraft and things of that nature. And only after, you know, getting out of that and coming back to Christ, I felt the, uh, I don't want to say presence, but I felt definitely the effects of involving myself in such darkness and and the rosary and prayer and, you know, adoration and things like that uh, really did help deliver me from that. And I don't know, you know, if you're both, both of you guys are Catholic or not, but uh, the the reality of the demonic is very prevalent, especially in today's day and age. You know, in, in many ways, our society, mainstream culture embraces it, wants us to join that team. So 
when it comes to the rosary and prayer and things like that, I've definitely seen uh, and experienced myself uh, a great amount of, of um, uh, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? A great amount of uh, feedback, I guess you would say, and, and, and tangible results from immersing myself in that. That is really fascinating. It's, it can be scary stuff. And thank God I have not been exposed to any of that kind of darkness. Uh, and I think a lot of our listeners haven't either. How did that happen to you in high school? How did you get drawn into that that world? Sure. All right. Well, uh, it all started in, in 2011 for me. And that was the year that I first learned about the Illuminati. And, you know, I, we all know it by now it's a meme, but at that point it was, wasn't quite yet a meme. It was this, you know, esoteric thing that not everybody in my circle, at least were aware of. And at first I was scared, you know, and uh, this entity that's controlling us all and they're doing these rituals and such, but then I became intrigued and, you know, through that I became a bit of a conspiracy theorist and I started to sort of with that interest and fascination, I guess I, it sort of sucked me in, if you will. And were you and an atheist I, at this time? No, I've never been an atheist. I, okay. I think at that point I would have been considered agnostic, uh, but I've never been an atheist. I, I never not believe that there is, you know, a intangible element to our existence. Gotcha. So no, okay. I, I wasn't, I was not an atheist at that time. So then I delved into conspiracy theories and the new age movement and in that time, I was experimenting with a lot of psychedelic drugs, uh, mushrooms and uh, LSD, DMT and that thing. And that really catapulted the whole, you know, uh, I guess, uh, space between me and God. I, the funny thing is that even throughout that whole time, I, I still believed that God existed. But for some reason, I just decided to ignore it and venture into all these various forms of false spirituality. And so through the psychedelic drugs and, you know, meditation and things of that nature, you know, it, I was fully immersed in, in um, occultism. And around that time, I had met uh, my girlfriend at, back then, and she was a pantheist, but she had crystals and she was very witchy. And that only sort of emboldened me to, you know, pursue that path more. And from that sort of new age occultism, then I went into witchcraft and um, I bought a book by a, a man by the name of Gerald Gardner. And he was sort of like a hybrid of Wiccan and Druid and things like that. And so, you know, her and I would practice, you know, different forms of witchcraft, uh, you know, rituals and blood rituals and, you know, incantations and, and that sort of thing. So... Yeah, that, that it started with learning about the Illuminati to starting to experiment with psychedelics to meeting the my pantheist ex-girlfriend. And then that's, you know, that was fully invested at that point. Jeez, what a road. That is wild. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was it was uh, pretty, pretty interesting. But, you know, the thing is, like, it's I'm not exactly ashamed of that, I wish I hadn't, but I believe that all of those experiences, you know, led me to where I where I am today. And you know, I wouldn't use a time machine to go back in time and change anything. I think the path that I was on was exactly the path that God wanted me to be on. 
And I forgot to mention also that in, I think it was 2012, I made a trip to North Carolina. Um, I think it was Asheville or some, something like that. Okay. And yeah. Asheville. Yeah. Yes. And I went there with my cousin and her friends and it so happened that the people that she was meeting were also uh, pagans or witches. You know, it's not really, they don't, I guess they weren't fans of titles because they just said they were into magic. And, and one of the night we were there for a week and one of the nights there, I was what they called initiated and we were in the forest and we, you know, there was, we cut our hands and they did this weird incantation, which looking back, I don't know if it was legitimate or something they just made up. And, uh, and yeah, so th that's another little aspect of that, uh, occult witchcraft story that, uh, I wow. went through. I had no idea this kind of thing occurred, existed at all until relatively recently. They really stick to the shadows. Oh yeah. And for good reason but geez that yeah. is just crazy stuff i like your perspective on um on not regretting where you are where you came from as well though because i think that's a very healthy way to look at it if you're happy with where you are today and this applies to all of us um you have to look at those those past periods as as part of the growth process so absolutely yeah there's, there's i think no it gives you a, a real grounding and that you couldn't see the light that god and the Lord provide to your life without see, without looking back and realizing like, wow, that was a really dark and scary portion of my life. And I really didn't understand what was going on and things were happening so fast. And you're, yeah, you, you can't truly appreciate the blessings that, that we have now. That's completely true. I, I, you know, as I mentioned, I went to Catholic school growing up and I had essentially no connection to the faith whatsoever. And you mentioned, you know, that it grounds you and it gives you a sort of a, a newfound appreciation for the faith considering where you came from to where you are now. And I think that there are a lot of Christians, not only Catholics, that they grow up in the faith and not that they're insulated from the world because, you know, with the internet, that's very difficult to stay insulated from, from these outside uh, influences. But it's hard for them to grasp the true, uh, the true power of our faith. When you come from such darkness and then, you know, like in the snap of a finger, you're, you're in the light, you know. Oh, that's, that's very true. People who, you know, experience trials and, and tribulations or come from um, a dark place like that or come from uh, different countries where Christians are, are persecuted. We have a very insulated, like you said, worldview yes. here in the, here in the West where either yes. people are you know, cradle Catholics in like the big city and they don't ever ask questions. Well, like, why do I believe what I believe? Or they've never had their faith truly tested to where they've actually went up against true, like spiritual evil. So they exactly. don't really, they don't really understand or grasp like what the power of like the Eucharist is or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned the Eucharist because when I, one of my struggles when reverting to Catholicism, because we haven't gotten to that point yet, but after I no longer considered myself a pagan, I was a Protestant for uh, four years. But when I came to Catholicism, uh, one of my, the most difficult uh, aspects of the faith to, to deal with was transubstantiation. And which is ironic because I believed in rituals and, you know, summoning and all these things. But then when it came to that, yeah, I was like on the fence and, you know, looking back at it now, it's, it was pretty silly of me to, 
you know, believe in the crazy things that I believe, but that was where I drew the line. You know, it's, uh, it makes little to no sense. Yeah. I don't know why it's so hard for so many of us, including myself at times to, to believe in transubstantiation. Like if God exists and you believe in God, he could do anything. It doesn't yeah. like, oh, I don't know why that would be the line. Yeah. Uh, looking back, neither do I, but I, I think it was just a stubbornness. You know, I was still kind of wearing, a little bit uh, the remnants of where I was before. And it was, you know, it, it was a process like uh, the scales falling off my eyes, you know what I mean? So once once that, once the final final scale fell, I guess I was like, was given full clarity and I, oh, well, if I believed in that, what's my problem now, you know? And yeah. uh, the same could go for uh, our Blessed Mother. I, I did have, you know, as a, coming from a Protestant church, I did have some some issues with with that too, but it's funny because my the the one the issues that I had the most with the Catholic faith were the first ones that were dealt with, and it, you know it was like a matter of, of months where I no longer had these uh, I don't want to say questions but uh, this trepidation to the faith regarding Mary and transubstantiation and that sort of thing. Very interesting. That is, I mean that is quite a path. So. Yeah. Um, after getting into all the cult stuff, yeah. what led you to becoming a Protestant? Okay. So that was my, my girlfriend, the pantheist and I had broken up at that point. So I was pretty much left to my own devices and I had no longer, I don't want to say she influenced me, but I was alone. I didn't have someone right. to reinforce these ideas that I had. And, uh, as I mentioned, I was a, a conspiracy theorist and, and still am because, I mean, the world we live in, you, it's kind of a given. But yeah. I, I noticed a distinct pattern with a lot of these, you know, these world powers and, you know, the, the Bilderbergs and the, the Bohemian Grove and all these things that all of these different faiths and religions, they were embraced. Buddhism and Hinduism, Islam, Judaism. And but for some reason there was seemed as though there was a distinct pattern to disregard the Christian faith, and you know it, it was okay to make jokes about you know our Lord and our faith, and you know you hear obviously the the stereotypes of, of priests and you know regarding children and and so I thought to myself there must be something to this you know why is it that all these other religions are embraced you know, in this, in these new age sort of uh, ideologies, but Christianity is a joke to them. And so that's sort of what led me on that path. And then at the time there was a, a YouTuber called the Vigilant Christian. I don't know if he still makes videos, but he was a Christian conspiracy theorist. And, you know, through his videos, I started to notice, okay, so this pattern that I'm noticing, it's, it's real. They are trying to turn us from Christ and they, they are, trying to put us on a path that leads us anywhere but to Christ. And so then slowly but surely from that process, I began to um, look into Christianity, not Catholicism, because at that point I was pretty anti-Catholic, uh, as much as I hate to admit it. And then there was a, a pastor by the name of David Wilkerson. He was a Pentecostal pastor, um, and he formed a church in New York City in Times Square. So I heard this guy preaching on YouTube, and I thought, wow, this, this is a powerful you know, message. And then it just so happened that this pastor that I was listening to uh, had a church in Times Square. So then I went there. It was a non-denominational church, 
And I attended that for four years. And that's sort of how I came to Protestantism from noticing this pattern that uh, the world turning us mm. from Christ. That was a really good observation. I mean, that is very apparent for anybody, especially living in the West. There really is only one religion that is, it is okay to belittle. And I think part of that is because it's the majority, it's the historical religion, um, you know, of our, our nation and of Europe. So there's a certain part of, you know, that's a part of it, but, um, yeah, that yeah is it's really a part of the, it is a part of the, the Marxism where if like the, the Christian faith is like the established faith in the West to topple the West, they have to tear down our institutions and in turn tear down Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. I mean, in order to truly uh, collapse a society, you have to collapse its morals. And in the West, our morals are predicated on Christian values. So yeah. that's their best bet. Uh, but even though, you know, a lot of people are blackpilled in this, I think they're losing. I think more people are coming to the faith. I think this uh, resurgence of young Catholics wanting the traditional mass, I think all of those things are indicative of the fact that these people are losing. They know they're losing and they want to bring us down uh, as fast as they can so that when they go, they'll take us with them. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I I think being blackpilled is not good. That is, uh, no. they're, they're trying to destroy the morale of, uh, of us, of the conservatives, of the Christians. And I think it's uh, not good, not going to be good if we are all are all being doomers. I have a lot of optimism because of what I see here on the ground, like interacting with young people in the yes. community and just online, what you see is a lot of growth and a lot of a return to a more authentic conservative and Christian worldview. Absolutely. To me, it's, it's a, it's a time where we're, we're sort of regrouping right now and it's the future looks promising to me. It does. I mean, obviously as Christians, we know how this ends, but I don't think we're quite there yet, and I think we're going to see some pretty good things before that time comes. And the whole concept of black pill, I, I, I you know, I know we people throw around the word psyop a lot, but I, I really do believe that it's a psyop to, you know, if you're not so-called red pilled, you know, whatever, then just lose all hope in everything altogether. And that's that's just another way to keep us under. The, the control of anything that isn't of God. And I yeah. have, I completely disagree with it. Now, can I understand why that happens to people? Sure. I, I have bouts of, of uh, pessimism. I'm, I'm a human being, but uh, I don't let that consume me or I try not to, at least through the grace of God. And so, yeah, yeah. that's good. I, I think a lot of the people who, who are probably struggling with uh, lack of hope and the pessimism, they might be people who are isolated as well. They don't have a community. Yeah. If you're yeah. off on your own and in an island, it's going to be a lot harder to to see what what I think we're seeing. I I agree, and you know that's why the uh, the Catholic memento mori is very important. You know, we remember our death, and we remember that there is going to be an end to this, and we have to take solace in that because it's not it, it's it's when you really look at it from our perspective of the faith, it's a beautiful thing. This is not our home. Our home is yet to come. And, you know, if you get so invested in this world, you're, you're bound to become black-pilled or pessimistic because this, you put all your, your basket and all your eggs in this basket and it's, it's just not, it's not going to work out well for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. 
Keep your eyes on the prize. Absolutely. I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on what it's like over in Europe because you said you're living in Austria right now. Yes. Yeah. Well, Austria is uh, allegedly a Catholic country. I know it was at one point, but it's kind of hard to see that now. Um, but the thing is, I'm in Vienna, so it's a city, the, the, mm-hmm. the biggest the capital city. So it's, it's a little different in, in outside of the city because uh, I was recently – uh, my wife and child and I went on vacation to this town called uh, Hallstatt, which is this picturesque little mountain town. It's actually where the movie uh, Frozen, had the aesthetic of that movie was based on this little town. Oh, cool. And it's gorgeous. You know, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. We didn't stay in the town we visited, but we stayed in a neighboring town called Obatron. And there's mountains and everyone says hello and you know, there's active churches, but here in the city, it's it's not like that. In fact, Vienna is known for being one of the most unfriendliest cities, and it's absolutely true. Hmm. Now, you in we corresponded via email, and you mentioned that you were in Europe a short time ago. Where where in Europe uh, were you? Uh, mostly in Belgium and in uh, Italy, and okay. um, which are you know Catholic countries as well. Yes. Italy certainly more so. But even in Belgium, I was actually surprised at the church attendance. Um, there were about so many churches in every city we went to, and uh, there were they were not packed to the brim, but they certainly weren't as empty as I had heard they might be. And I, you know, I did see some young people. It's it's not great over there, but it's not as bad as I thought. Um, and then I also was surprised that I felt like the um, the culture didn't seem as in your face about progressive politics, particularly about the um, LGBT movement. I saw very few uh, rainbow flags and I, I didn't see them plastered on at every cafe or restaurant like you do in the United States. Really? That's not the, that's not the same here in, in Vienna. Um, I've been here since January. And so obviously I was here for Pride Month and there were pride flags everywhere in front of schools. Uh, the crosswalks are painted in, in the rainbow uh, thing there. Yeah, um, that's too even, even many churches. Uh, we we attended here a um, an English-speaking church. And obviously there's a lot of churches here in Vienna. And on our way there, we passed quite a few. And we, we noticed that there were some LGBT flags hanging and it was it was very disconcerting to be honest. And the, the 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 biggest church that they have here, or the most well known, is Saint Stephen's Cathedral. And over there, they host uh, drag queen fashion shows. Oh my you know, gosh! It's, yeah, it's 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 detestable, really. And that is just the, terrible. Oh yeah, it's the opposite of your experience. You were surprised at the lack of the push of progressive politics. My experience here is the opposite. Even uh, when I was here also last year and uh, uh, they were still experiencing COVID restrictions and, you know, you had to register to go to mass. You had to put your name on a list and, you know, it, it was it was crazy. You know, I'm from New wow. York City. I, I'm, I'm very familiar with progressive politics. But when I came here, yeah. it was like another world. You know, I. I yeah. Oh, my gosh. I That's wild. Yeah. I, I guess it varies a lot from country to country in Europe. And I know that uh, Germany is very progressive and their Catholics oh, yeah. are, their clergy are some of the worst. And oh, yeah. I'm assuming Austria is quite similar. 
Yeah, I mean, Austria is pretty much under the thumb of of Germany in all aspects, including the the, the Catholic Church. And uh, there's a, a local church here where um, I have a friend who went. You know, I I met a few people here. He went to this church, and he went to confession. And I don't, you know, I don't want to get too detailed about what he confided in me, but he discussed. Um, you know, committing a mortal sin to this priest in confession. And the priest's response was, well, the church is behind on that. Don't worry about it. And and when you have clergy like that, and, and this inept sort of post Vatican II, not that I'm, I'm not one of these uh, anti Vatican II. That's a, that's a discussion. If you want to have, we can, but <laughs> the fruit of it is certainly apparent. And well, that sort of thing is turning people away from the church. People don't want the the world and the church, they go there to separate from the world, you know, to be set apart. And when you go there, and the guy, the priest is saying, "Oh, you know, the church is behind. Don't don't worry about it." Imagine yeah. how many other people he's saying things like that to. That he's turning people from the church. It's, it's that terrible. is just terrible. I mean, that is really really bad. That is such a disservice to the people of the church. Yes, I agree. People don't want this lukewarm attitude from the church. They want a position of strength. There or People are tired of, of being coddled. They're tired of being, you know, of, of a speech being tailored to yes. what they want to hear. People, I think, are recognizing that sometimes you need tough love. Sometimes you need people to tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. I agree. You know? Yeah. And it's, the, the whole message of Christ in the New Testament telling people to go and sin no more and that their, their faith has saved them because they were willing to repent which is the entire thing but it's like oh you don't have to repent because the the church is going to change their stance on that at mm-hmm. like sometime like either either something's right or it's wrong there 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 is a distinct moral right and wrong immoral versus moral absolutely wow. I, I, i'm sad to hear that austria's church is so bad my, my friend just went to um, world youth day and had a lot of good things to report about some of the other countries there, um, like he said, France had a lot of really, um, you know, traditional Catholics, very who were very strong in their faith, and then Germany had a lot of progressive ones. Yes, uh, here there is a, an SSPX church. I, I I don't know how you guys feel about that, uh, but nevertheless, you know, they are still very. They're they're um, the members of their churches are still very uh, ardent about their stance on tradition and and things like that and that's not to say that all the churches are like that you know uh my wife and i attend a a, a reverend novus Ordo uh parish here and it's nothing like that the priests speak english and i i'm able to do confession i've, I've never heard any crazy takes from from them they're they're pretty kosher in that sense but uh, generally generally speaking here it's the 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 ideal, the progressive ideology, has infiltrated all aspects. I'm glad you were able to find a good church, and yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm with you. I, I'm not, I don't really condone the SSPX. Certainly better than some of the other stuff you have seen, and yes. I think we've all seen. But um, yeah, it's tough to find like a good Reverend Novus Ordo, or, and those are really the best, in my opinion. I, I agree. I agree. Um, in fact, in New York City, uh, where I'm, I'm from the Bronx, there is a church in Manhattan 
and they have Latin mass every day uh, at six and on Sundays at 10 a.m. So, you know, that it's still, you got to know where to look because it's, it's, it's almost as though it's hidden in some ways, but if, if you're strong enough in your faith and you're, and you're wanting enough, then you'll find it, you know? Yeah. God is, and that's where God, the community is going to be found too. Absolutely. Which is another thing I believe is lacking in, in many aspects of the Catholic church. I don't know how it is for you guys in, in your church or whoever's listening, but in my experience, Protestants, when it comes to fellowship and community, I think they might have a, a little bit of an advantage. Uh, you know, a lot of times in church, after mass is over, people are running out of the church like it's on fire, not interested in forming any sort of community or union with, with uh, you know, their fellow Catholics. And, you know, I remember when I was a kid, the priest, again, I don't know how it is in your guys' church, but the priest would stand by the door when you're leaving, you know, you talk to you, you have the chance to speak with him. And, but I haven't seen that in a while, especially not here in Vienna. You know, the, the priests run just as fast as the people do when mass is over. And it, it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I, I think that's a mistake that we Catholics have made and it needs to change. I think it is changing. Uh, there is something so important about sticking around after and, and building the community. And I, I see it more and more. It depends on where you go. There are churches where everyone leaves. And there are others where people are there for an hour or two after. Yes. Bring back Donut Sunday. <laughs> oh, we have. I we agree have, with you 100%. We brought back Donut Sunday, Andrew. It's the first uh, first Sunday of every month. The uh, the scout troop brings in donuts. And it's a really good uh, really good way for the uh, parishioners to, uh, to bond. We met a couple uh, older couples from uh, using uh, the advice from the last episode to uh, – meet your local old people at church. So living out the, uh, the call to action. Beautiful. There's That's a lot awesome. to learn. There's a lot to learn from the, you know, a lot of, I think for young people, I mean, I'm 30, so I, I don't know if I'm, I think I'm in between, but when I was younger going to church, it was kind of intimidating wanting to form a, a, a bond with the older members of the church. You know, it, it, you didn't know, you know, Wanted to walk on, on thin ice, you know, with questions. Maybe they'll judge you for your questions, which can happen. But, you know, we mentioned community in the church. Recently, my wife and I have been watching uh, a few um, documentaries and YouTube videos about the Amish and the Mennonites and even the Hasidic Jews. And they have such a beautiful concept of a community and togetherness and this cohesion that they have that I really feel like Catholics and Christians in general perhaps are, are missing out on. Uh, you know, they, I'm not saying let's, you know, with uh, forego electricity and, and live in the woods, which I, I actually would like, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that they have a real, especially the, the Hasidic Jews, because in New York, there's in Brooklyn, there's a, you know, very large community of them and they have their own businesses. They give each other business they, they spend time with each other. Every, it's like one huge family uh, spanning several blocks. And that's something I wish Catholics had. I would love for that to, you know, go outside and, you know, there's a, a constant reminder of my faith. You know, I know that that guy, that my neighbor there, he's a Catholic. And then you go down the block, you have a shrine and, on, you know, you have community outreach. I, I would love that. I think that's, we're really lacking in that. Uh, yeah. Yes. Couldn't for every, uh, for every pride flag business, we need to have a business with uh, the Christian flag. Agreed. Yes. If yes. we need to start claiming territory, 
on the map. I 100% agree with that. That's that's awesome. It needs to become the norm in this country to say that, you know, we're God-fearing people and that we we love and support our communities and we want to, you know, make a more moral community where we live. That's that's I, very true. Very true yeah. statement there. That would be fantastic. You know, you you go around the country and it's like, oh, that's where the Amish live, and that's where the the Hasidic Jews are, and I want it to be, oh, that's where the Catholics are. Not that we're separated from the world entirely. I don't want that, but I I, I want us to have that sort of solid, you know, uh, set apart community that even even in physical sense, oh, that's where the Catholics are. That's where that strong Catholic community is, and and that inspires the world. You know, yeah, I, I think a lot of Catholics, myself included, make the mistake that oh, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm living in the world, but I'm not of the world, and we don't need to be set apart. But I think because we're supposed to be the, the city, the shining city on the hill, we, we should have our own our own little thing that's set apart so that people could look to and say, okay, that's – because when you see a Catholic in, at, at work, maybe you don't even know he's a Catholic, he or she. You know, so if you have that little community like the Amish have, and you could see how they how we are living, and I think that would be very beneficial to not only conversion of non-Catholics, but also strengthening our faith, the faith of Catholics. Yes, and you exactly. Don't go, and you don't go in that part of town committing mischief because armed Catholic is there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well absolutely. Yeah, you, you read my mind. In the world, we, we, not of the world. Yes, yes, we're, we're we'll be firm supporters of the Second Amendment in our community. So don't. Oh, we've gone full circle. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I want all my neighbors to be, you know, my my Catholic friends and family. I think the uh, extended family needs to be strengthened as well. I, yeah. It's probably not a good idea for for everyone to be living a thousand miles apart and only see each other on holidays. No, extended I family think- needs to be strengthened. I think that's detrimental and that goes into the whole, you know, nuclear family, which was basically a, a marketing ploy in, in the in the late 40s and 50s. And the, the idea of just mother, father and, and child, I mean, obviously that's a beautiful thing. It's, it started off that way, Adam and Eve, but uh, multi-generational families, I think that's going to save, that, that would save society in, 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 in morally, at least in, in many ways. You need the grandparents, you need the uncles, the cousins, everybody. It's very important. Yeah. Yeah, not too many people have that anymore. And it's very cool when you meet people who do. Like uh, certain areas of the country have it more than others. Some areas like Northern Virginia are entirely transplants and nobody really has any family there. Nobody's from there. Where I live, you have people who've been here for generations and they have like a hundred people at Thanksgiving. Super cool. That's beautiful. That is, it, it's, you mentioned Virginia. I mean, you, you look at West Virginia and Appalachia. You know, the the whole holler. Everyone's related there, and not in the weird sense, but they're. <laughs> you know that yeah. that's there. My mother grew up like that. Uh, as I said, I'm from the Bronx, and uh, you know, surprisingly enough, because that doesn't really exist in cities. But my mother's block where she lived, uh, she lived in a house across the street was a building. Uh, I think it was a four-story building. All her family, all cousins, aunts. Down the block was another aunt. Down the block was another cousin. Her whole block was all family. And, That's so uh, cool. Yeah. she That was a very uh, – she always considered herself very fortunate that she got to grow up that way. 
And yeah, that's I, awesome. I, 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 there's I something so cool about just going for a walk around the block and like bumping into friends and family. Yeah, that would be, that's the dream. I mean, if, yeah. if someone would ask me what my ultimate dream is, it's I buy a large plot of land somewhere, have some homes built and all those mm-hmm. homes will be built with family. And then adjacent that's to so that, cool. adjacent to that would be other Catholic families. And that, that's part of that community we just spoke about. But yeah, that's, that's the dream. I've said that kind of thing too. I think that's an awesome idea. There's so much land for it. It'd be kind of like building your own little neighborhood. Yes. But choosing your neighbors. I mean, that'd be cool. Growing our own food. You know, I'm not, I'm not extreme where, you know, we got to go to the lake to get water. I want running water and plumbing and everything, but just that, that close knit, a close knit community of Catholic homesteaders and, you know, landowners. That would be. And you share like, I'll, oh. I'll give you some eggs. You give me some some milk and whatever yeah. stuff like that. And we'd get get great quality fresh food. It'd be awesome. Bringing back the barter system. I think if if Catholics did that, I think the feds would be on us in a snap of a finger. <laughs> I don't like that very much. That's too, yeah, uh, too dangerous for them. Not enough tax revenue if we're yeah. doing that. Too much. Too much authentic freedom and not fake freedom that allows you to pursue licentiousness. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They, their, their idea of freedom is uh, which well, I don't want to. You know, which dirty <laughs> website can you visit? You know, but for us, it's not. It's not quite like that. And you know, I, I'm sure you guys have heard that the FBI is surveilling Catholic churches even now. Oh yeah, they are. You know, a lot of traditional Catholic churches that came out. In fact, uh, Trump. Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm a Trump supporter, but Trump recently gave a. Uh, I think it was a rally a couple of days ago where he discuss that he told he said pretty much warned catholics that the fbi you need to keep an eye on them because they're keeping an eye on you yeah yeah um there was there's a there's a guy um in the uh philadelphia area he's a he's a father of uh of seven kids he uh just recently uh got acquitted on charges they tried to bring on him when uh some uh pro-abortion protester put hands on his uh on his son and so obviously the guy um got um put hands on yeah uh the individual that laid hands on his son and they tried to get him for assault but he got acquitted on that now he's running for uh congress in uh bucks county pennsylvania so he's very uh probably one of the most pro-catholic candidates uh that we've had in the true traditional Catholics that we've had running for uh, candidacy in the country in a long time. So they really need to get out and support him in PA. God yeah, that's him. a great man. The FBI is a disaster. It's incredibly corrupt. That's real bad. I think if, if hopefully Trump gets back in power and, and can clean house. I hope so. I mean, as far as the Republicans are concerned, I don't think there's anyone else who's going to take the nomination. I think it's pretty much his already, unless he gets arrested, you know, with all this stuff going on. But I don't know. They, they, I, I don't want to say anything too crazy on to get you guys taken down. But if what they pulled off in 2020, if if they could do it, then I, you know, there's a good chance that he yeah, might. there's there's nothing that's off the off the table at this point. Honestly, yeah, you got to be prepared for. Anything and everything at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think they underestimate Trump, though, and I think that will come back to bite them. He yeah. is strategic. He's a fighter. So I don't know what he'll do. I don't, 
I don't, I'm not a mind reader, but I, mm-hmm. I'm sure he's thinking about it. Oh yeah, I, I think he has a few arrows in his quiver that we're not yet aware of because every couple of months he does or says something. It's like, oh wow, that's that's pretty significant. So by the time election season is here, I'm sure he's going to have a lot to a lot to uh, yeah. reveal. And the thing yeah. is with Trump is I think even if he's not nominated, he has such a a following and such a, a respect yeah. from you know your average normal conservative American that even if he's not in that position of power, I think he's still have great influence if he's not, yeah. you know, but assassinated or arrested. I think 24 Certainly. has to be a different pr- approach entirely, not from him per se, but from the average individual. Whereas in 2020, you know, it was, Oh, um, be rebe- rebellious a bit within the, uh, the means of the, the system and just kind of listen to all the stupid, uh, COVID rules and mm-hmm. then just show up to vote in 2020 and hope uh, the uh, the orange man can uh, <laughs> can save us from our own demise. I think people realize that that's not a reality anymore no. and that they they are against him. Like like he says, like they're against uh, they're not against me. They're against you, but I'm standing in the way. Exactly. Well, you know, he hasn't been standing in the way for the last four years and what's happened, like the entire justice system being weaponized against us and this and that. So I think it's really going to be people, you know, creating community and really putting hard lines up where they're like, you know, there's, there's enough of this going on in our country. And yeah, ultimately we're, we're going to vote for him. We're going to support him because he's our, our, the avatar of our disdain for the, uh, the federal bureaucracy, but it's also going to be upon us to go do more and, you know, not just sit on our hands and say, "Oh, well, I'm just going to wait to vote the next time." No, but there has to be legitimate action. Yes, yeah. Trump, if if there's anything he's good at, it's rallying the troops. And if he's, you know, if if anyone's going to, which is unfortunate, you know, to think that what inspires most Americans is a political figure. But I, as I said, I'm a, I'm a Trump supporter, so I I stand behind him so long as he stays within in alignment with what I believe. But I think that uh, he's 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 a force, and, and people are definitely going to be you know he's going to get those boots to the ground. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Only, I, well said, all, Stephen. Great point. If only he were Catholic, <laughs> it would be so yeah. much better. <laughs> I know. Yeah. What's uh, what's your opinion on uh on RFK? Because I know he's brought a lot of the uh like quote unquote conspiracies to uh to yeah. light, but he's also like decently liberal on a lot of his like policies yeah i'm pretty sure he's pro uh pro-choice but generally i mean i wouldn't vote for him but generally i think he's a net positive for for people who because the thing is democrats weren't always what they are now we we all know that They're, they're, they're they've become pretty much everything that they fought against in the 60s when they were the counterculture now they're the establishment that they pretend to fight against and I think he's he's uh, shining a little bit of a light on the hypocrisy that uh, of the Democratic Party. Um, again, I wouldn't vote for him, but I, I I like a lot of things he has to say. Yeah, I like that he's a part of the conversation, especially with what he says about pesticides and what we're doing with the environment, um, yes. not the climate change part, but like the polluting the rivers uh-huh. and what we're putting on our crops and. Um, and of course, the vaccine stuff was very interesting. I listened to his Joe Rogan interview and was just stunned. 
Yeah, he's very riveting to listen to, especially considering the party that he belongs to. You don't hear Democrats, and I don't think you will ever again talk, discuss the things he he discusses. And you mentioned climate change. I'm not. I don't. I don't believe that we have that as much impact on on the, uh, the the environment as we think. But I do also think that conservatives, we like to go in the complete opposite direction. Of what liberals um, of the liberal position, and I think first of all the EPA was created by Nixon. So as conservatives, it's part of our name, you know, conserve the environment. I think. Yeah. I, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but that's it's something I'm passionate about. I love nature. I don't think that uh, we're going to be flooded in 20 years, but I do think we have a responsibility as, as stewards to you know, maintain. Uh, the earth and, and clean up a little, you know, it's I couldn't cool. agree more. I think every conservative feels that way or should. We yeah. are the people who love being outdoors. We, we don't, we don't live in the cities as, as often. We love nature. We should be environmentalists. We should be conservationists. Exactly. Like you said, it's in the name. Exactly. We but, love you know, being maybe, outside, not oh, yeah. consuming the, uh, the, the blue light from our phones and yeah. eating soy no, hating ourselves. <laughs> I saw definitely. this thing. I think it was in Ireland or Scotland. Like they're cutting down like a couple hundred thousand trees to like put up like windmills oh or something God. like that. And it's it's gone like full circle where the uh, where the people who claim to be environmentalists are literally like destroying our environment in the name of uh, you know climate justice or yeah. whatever whatever term they they call it these days where oh we're going to put up a bunch of windmills cuz like those are infinitely better for us and our mm. you know and our energy supply than like actual trees that you know give us oxygen to breathe it's foolishness and and they they're counting on the fact that we're foolish you foolish yeah. or complacent you know just because you know that they're full of it doesn't mean you're going to act on it and I, they thrive on that and the same goes for electric cars you know uh, over here in 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 Europe, um, there's recently been a lot of lithium mining, and if you look on the weather maps, you know it shows that in each location where there's a lithium mine, there's a fire, and that's a mm. lot. Uh, that, that's wow. a way of extracting the lithium is using fire. So again, this whole idea of doing these things for the environment when they're polluting it even more is absurd. And uh, I, I'm sure you guys remember the Paris Accord Agreement, where we were paying uh, yeah. the most amount of money for for uh, these environmental protection um, uh, things. And meanwhile, the United States doesn't produce anywhere near the amount of pollution as China or India. You know, so it, it's all about the, the money. You know, they, it's the green movement for a reason because it's not about environment; it's about money. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, the the. Pseudo environmentalism from the left is just hurts my head. It's so stupid and it's so damaging at the same time. Some I don't know if it's I don't think it's gone through, but one of the bureaucratic agencies has just proposed new regulations for automakers that essentially make it impossible to sell an, a, a normal car by twenty thirty two. They're trying to push for all electric with insane regulations. Mm-hmm. And the kicker is all they project it would save. So the amount of CO two that was released from the Canadian forest fires this summer, the EPA projects that their all electric cars by twenty thirty two would save half half as much by, by twenty fifty. That's it. That's what it's for. 
crazy. Just insane. It, it really is. It, it's it, it's like one of those things where, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about something the the medieval grind set, you know, where you're not concerned with all these things that are going on in the world, and a lot of Christians subscribe to that idea, and I think it's cowardice, and I think it's a cop out, and I think as men in particular in the faith, we need to be aware of these things like you just mentioned, even if it seems mundane or not that important. If we're staying ignorant because, oh, I don't want to concern myself with the things of the world, you know, we're not monks, we're not the desert fathers, you know, we're here in the world and we need to stay vigilant of what's going on. And again, like I said before, they, they really count on our stupidity. You know, yeah. such a low amount of, of CO2 emission and, and who knows how much money is being paid for that. You know, it's. it's yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. That's a really good point. So many people do take that attitude and, and maybe some people are called to that. That's what we have. Yeah. We have monks and nuns that are absolutely called for that to isolate themselves. But the rest of us need to be involved. And how can you love the world if you're not trying to make it better? Like if there's evil and terrible things that are going to make all of our lives worse, that are, are trying to be pushed through and you don't fight that, how can you say you, you love the people of this world? You, you can't. You can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's one of the ultimate forms of, of loving your neighbor is wanting what's best for them, even though they're all subscribed to these different uh, vices, truly. Yes. Yes. Um, you, know, you have a lot of people, <clears throat> oh, I don't watch the news, they say. Now, listen, I used to be a little bit crazy with the news. I would watch maybe <laughs> four hours of it, you know, Tucker and Sean Hannity and all. But now, you know, I'm, I'm not watching it as much, but I still think it's important to stay informed. You know, yeah. it, it, what's the purpose? Oh, I don't need to watch that. Why? You don't need to know what's going on in the world where you're going to have children. What, what are you talking about? That makes no sense at all. That's maybe yeah. it's coming from a good place. And, and like you said, there are people that are called to it. In fact, when I first came to Christ, uh, Catholicism, when I reverted, uh, I was very much inspired by the Desert Fathers and the Hermetic lifestyle and, you know, St. Benedict of Nursia. He's the, the, uh, the father of Western monasticism. And I didn't make any steps to it, but I thought maybe this is the path that I should be going on. So I understand the appeal, but if you have kids and a family, you need to pay attention. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, I think what some of us could do, if you struggle with, with consuming too much content when you're trying to follow the news, you know, if you're someone who can watch Fox News for hours or get stuck in uh, the YouTube rabbit hole, maybe instead get your information from a newspaper. It's a bit old fashioned, or you could do the online version, but that way, you're not going to get sucked in as much. Yeah. The Epic or Times just put is like good. Time time stamps on your on your apps or whatever you have, or an alarm that like I'm only going to consume like this much news. That's kind of the way that I am at this point. Because again, I used to be like informational overload, especially oh, yeah. during uh, COVID and everything like that. Like I wanted to know every single piece of information that I could, but. At some point, it became a bit toxic for me. So yes. I, 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 I kind of subscribe to the approach where I learn, like, I go to the point where I feel like I'm informed on the topic, and then I just have to, like, shut off from it entirely. Yeah, I, I can relate. I, when, uh, <laughs> when Trump was running in 2015, 2015 was a big uh, year for me because that was when I was coming back to Catholicism out of Protestantism. So that all coincided mm -hmm. with... Um, with the election and this you know, man the, overloaded on white uh, pills and red pills. <laughs> yes, I was fully and I was inundated with information, and it created a bit of a burnout 
in by the time 2018 came around. And I think that happened to a lot of conservatives. You know, Trump won and we figured, oh, we got it. And we dropped the ball a little bit. And I think that's what happens to conservatives. Uh, liberals, I mean, I don't want to call them evil, but, you know, evil doesn't sleep. But conservatives, we get comfortable once we feel like we're in the in the, in the the win. And I think that's something we got to work on a little bit. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah, the... Yeah, it's like the passage where Jesus tells his uh, his disciples to the the apostles to watch and pray while uh, while he's in the garden, and you know he's contemplating some really serious stuff, and he comes back and he's like, "Why are you guys sleeping?" Yep, it's like, just you like don't that. know the hour of the Lord. You got to stay awake and stay vigilant. That's why that's why he says that. That's why it's a core tenet of our faith. Is because yeah, like as as people of faith, you know, we have a tendency to you know take our foot off the gas, you know, every once in a while. Yes. And once in a while, it's okay. You know, it happens. But to remain that way is the problem. And I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that, uh, that uh, succeed from our complacency. I had a, when I first created, when I first got on social media, one of my first, I made a, a video and the title was the enemy thrives at the expense of our complacency. And they rely on us. Oh, they're entertained with their apps, with their information, with their social media, this and that. And while they're doing that, while we're distracted, they're slowly taking the rug from underneath our feet. And then before you know it, we're on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got to stay vigilant. Uh, I think this is a good place for us to wrap up. But first, we need a call to action for today. Any thoughts, Steve? Uh, we had a lot of good ones today. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to think of a of a good call to action here. Yeah, I don't want to tell people to look into all like the dark aspects of our world that like we talked about in the beginning, but really just dig into why you under why why you believe what you believe. You know, if you're if you're truly a practicing Catholic, I think we all have a duty to to understand our our faith a bit better and really dig into what we believe why we believe it i mean you know we recite a a creed um every sunday at church but really like dig into you know why the church teaches that and why we understand that why we believe uh that our our faith is a true true faith started by jesus christ and yeah just like you said, you know, maybe maybe read a newspaper or get informed on one of the various topics that we talked about that you don't quite understand as well at this point. But get informed um, mentally, physically, spiritually. I think that's uh, that's a good place for us to go. I agree. Yeah, uh, very good. And uh, in keeping with the armed Catholic theme, stay armed. And, yeah. <laughs> stay armed. There we go. Get your rosaries, get your glocks. That's that's our <laughs> So uh, you're gonna have a storm, man. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the world is against us, and we need to defend. You know, they're cut. This will def- this guy, will but- defend. Oh my gosh, that's yes. wonderful. Yes, that's Just awesome. Yeah, they def- defend defend your faith, defend your family. Well said. I'll keep that in mind. I need to get out there and train with, with my guns soon. Great stuff. Thank you so much for coming on today. No, nope, thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I'd love to come on again if uh, if you would be so kind. To, uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. We will, right. we will keep in touch, and we'll see you uh, hopefully again soon. Everyone, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.